Okay. I am on. Thank you, Andy. If I could have your attention back this way. It's great to see you guys. Oh, there we are. That will get your attention. Uh, we are in number three of a four-part four series called uh, We Are Confident of Better Things? Question mark. We've been going through a series on Hebrews 5 and 6, and Paul's covered the first two uh, uh, talks so far in the last couple of weeks. Just, uh, I'm sure we'll get that sorted. Who's been here to hear uh, Paul uh, do either of those two talks so far? So a lot of people, so you'll be aware, this, this passage in Hebrews 5 and 6 is a very challenging passage and the language used by the author, nobody's too sure who actually wrote the book of Hebrews, this is a New Testament letter, so after Jesus' death and resurrection and a letter to uh, a, a churches uh, encouraging them to live the Christian faith. And it's a very challenging language. And uh, Paul's been speaking on verses that talk about, by now, you should be eating meat when you're still on milk. He's basically saying this church, these guys are a bit like babies still. They haven't grown up enough. As, you know, it's like, come on, you guys have got to grow up. And then he went on to talk about you should be standing on foundational truths, repentance and faith in Jesus water baptism, the Holy Spirit, eternal judgment to come. If you like, the staples, the basics of Christian life, that's what you need to be standing on to grow and mature. And he's going to come on, uh, which we'll get next week, we'll look at it very briefly today, to say, but I'm confident with you guys, and Julian gets to bring you the nice stuff next week, but he's now going to go through this passage, which I hope is going to appear on the screen, where he says some very strong things to them indeed. Has that got chopped off on that one? Okay, my screen, it's just got chopped off. I'll see if I can read it. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted in the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. And you see Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. So there we go. Encouraging words for us this morning. Stirring stuff. What is going on? What is going on in this passage? What is he saying? Now, we're going to take a sort of step back a little bit uh, in some ways in this talk because um, some of you will be aware of these types of questions. Uh, maybe uh, some of you won't in terms of if you're a bit newer to Christianity. But one of the things Christians will talk about and wonder and ask and think about God for themselves personally, for their friends, is can you lose your salvation? What happens? Is it possible? How does that work? And this verse, is one of, this section of verses, is one of the biggest kind of arguments for saying, for those that kind of hold to that line, for saying, yeah, I think it's possible. Look at this. Look what's gone on with some of these guys in this church here who have fallen away and it's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. They're crucifying the Son of God all over again. What's that about? And this is not academic stuff, right? This is about you and I and 
maybe a whole bunch of people we know. Here's a, a quote here. Most Christians know of people who were once warm-hearted believing colleagues but are now adrift without anchor or aim. Were such people ever saved, one naturally asks, if they are now plainly indifferent or even forcefully opposed to Christian things, what is their eternal destiny? Now, some people obviously uh, around might get quite cross to this type of thing and interfere and stuff, but Christians genuinely believe Jesus makes all the difference, don't we? He saves us. He died uh, to pay the price for our sins and he rose again so that we can be full of hope for life after death and indeed life now as well, of course. And it's a genuine uh, belief, it's a sincere thing of the Christian. We think Jesus makes all the difference to our eternal destiny. And so to consider those questions of people around us and their decision about Jesus and the way they're living for him or not, and even to look at our own lives, is not some kind of ap- academic interfering thing, a busybody way. It's what true love of the Christian should come out looking like. Obviously there's ways of doing it and ways of not. But it's not an indifferent thing to us, is it? And no doubt you will have people in mind. I have people in mind. You think, well, I wonder what their eternal destiny is. And, and, and this passage, what's gone on? What's happened? Can you lose your salvation? So we're going to be covering, uh, looking at, if you like, a bit of theology, where we uh, as leaders and as a church tend to stand on this issue, but also hopefully really catching our hearts for where you are at with Jesus and maybe for, to help you with the people around you who you know and love and want to follow Jesus. Now, just before we go on and I start telling you, if you like, what I believe about this passage and what the Bible as a whole says, okay, and some of you will kind of be clicking and guessing already, uh, when you see passages this strongly, uh, you know, written this type of language, we've got to have real respect for differing viewpoints. It is not always super clear cut. I've guessed God knew what he was doing when he gave us with the Bible, and he makes us have to treat it humbly and wisely and respectful of other people. And as I say, many people would see in this passage and others that it is possible for a Christian to lose their salvation, to have once been saying yes to Jesus and going to heaven and then to turn their back on Jesus and for their no longer going to heaven. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. And I'm going to explain how I would understand this first. Um, and uh, it's not like I'm just standing on my own in this. The point of view is uh, sometimes a form of sort of reformed theology, Calvinist as opposed to Arminian, if you care about those words at all. But that's kind of where we stay. Now, before we go into first, um, there's a danger of just proof texting, meaning you just pick out little bits of the Bible and make it say what you want, of course. And we don't have ages to go over this topic, which many Christians are still debating, you know, theologians and academics and such. But I'm going to initially just choose one verse, which I think is really uh, saying, no, you can't lose the salvation. So we're going to go to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And in John's Gospel, that's John 10, verse 27 to 29, John's Gospel, Jesus says some of those, those things in a few different ways. I've just chosen this one verse, and there's many others. I do not believe that a true Christian can lose the salvation. And a verse like this speaks very, very strongly that it is impossible because Jesus is greater than us. And at another point he says, no one can snatch him out of the Father's hand, and he is greater than all, he says. None can snatch 
uh, you out of his hands as a true Christian. But we'll come back to that verse in some of the ways Jesus even explains that. So that's where we're going, but now let's go back to uh, the verse in Hebrews. So what is this guy doing? What's he saying to this church, uh, this Hebrew church, the church known as the Hebrews? Jews who have then uh, become Christians and have been severely persecuted as a result of this. So first of all, at one point, it can be difficult to tell who is truly a Christian. So my take and, and others on this verse is when he goes through this list, he's not actually talking about Christians, but it's very close, if you like, and it's extremely hard to tell. And we're going to look at other verses. What we're going to do is go through these verses, then look at other verses that kind of hopefully you will agree back up this type of thinking. So it talks about they've been enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they shared in the Holy Spirit, they tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. It's not actually said they have had a, so, a saving faith relationship commitment to Jesus. It's like they've hung around. It's like they're in the room at the moment. They're worshipping Jesus and singing at the top of their voices. They're loving the spiritual moment. They're hanging around the Holy Spirit. They're tasting something of what's gone on in the room. They've got some understanding of Christianity. They've got some knowledge of the Word of God and the Bible and could maybe explain some sort of doctrinal statements about who Jesus is, but they've never given their life to him. Maybe they've even experienced healing power or some kind of provision of God, answered prayer. They're around the th place, around the community of God and all that God's doing, okay, but they never quite said, this is for me, and chose Jesus to have a saving relationship. And obviously, as you think about others, please think about yourself. And all the way through Scripture will come to them. It can be hard to tell who really is a Christian, uh, my word in, in this sermon is for a true Christian, uh, my, my choice of language, who is truly a Christian. Uh, number two point. The actual falling away of somebody, which is clearly what's happened to these, and we'll, again, we'll come across this, can be a sign that they were not a true Christian. Because true Christians endure to the end. That's what true Christians do, kept by God's power. We'll be looking at verses that. And these are people who, though they were around all the stuff, being enlightened, sharing in the Holy Spirit, clapping, dancing, whatever, enjoying the moment, they've fallen away. And that's an indication in the Bible that they were never really truly saved in the first place, never true Christians, because true Christians don't fall away. It is possible and we'll spend a little bit of time on this, for hearts to become so hardened it's impossible for them to repent. You can get to a state of play where you've been so resisted to the things of God, okay, that, it's the, that it seems to be impossible for them to turn and uh, receive repentance, uh, repent and receive forgiveness from God again, to be brought back to repentance, he says. This is a... a it should be stirring the hearts. It's a, a scary thing, you might say. And uh, well, let's keep going. Look at verses. And it says, To their loss they crucify the Son of God all over again, subjecting him to public disgrace. What's going on with that slightly very emotive phrase, very odd phrase? It seems that he is almost taking this group of people in the church, the Hebrew, this church 
the Hebrew church it's writing to and was making them think about what happened, what was going on when Jesus was crucified and what was going on around them. It's like they've stepped into what was going on around Jesus in their attitude. So you could look at verses in Matthew like this. So this is going back, Matthew 27, verses 39. This is Matthew's account uh, of Jesus being crucified. And he's being crucified, he's on the cross, and it says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. So this group of people in this church where this letter's gone to that have been all around, been enlightened, enjoying the Holy Spirit, they've fallen away and in their hearts they've hardened themselves. They've turned their back on Jesus. They've not looked at the cross with wonder and amazement uh, as a crucified saviour dying for the sin, they have mocked him in the heart. A quote here from a guy, they're virtually confirming the judgment of the actual crucifiers, declaring that he too, meaning the ones that have fallen away, has made a trial of Jesus in his own heart and found him no true Messiah, but deceiver and never worthy of death. And whilst you maintain that attitude, whilst you're looking at the crossing, hanging around the things of God, how are you going to be brought back to repentance? It's not that God isn't willing to forgive, it's that you've placed yourself in a position where it's just not going to happen. Another quote, God has pledged himself to pardon all who truly repent, but scripture and experience alike suggest that it is possible for human beings to arrive at a state of heart and life where they can no longer repent. What a scary thing, what a horrible thing to have hung around that close, to have tasted all the great things of God, but to have fallen away and have brought yourself to a state of heart where you are not going to be able to turn around and receive God's forgiveness and his gift of salvation. Strong warnings, stern stuff. Number four, and then we'll come to some other verses, fruitfulness, all these things are wrapped up together, again. fruitfulness is a sign of a true Christian. So he said, these are guys that have been enlightened, have tasted the Holy Spirit, okay, uh, they've fallen away. He's obviously writing to everybody, don't fall away. The next verses after these ones, he says, we're confident of better things for you. Don't fall away. Don't get in this place where you're unable to repent, where you're looking at Jesus, but from a totally different attitude. And finally he says, because land that drinks in rain often falling on it, that produces a crop useful for those for whom it is... Um, my letter's gone, I can't read the Farmed, <laughs> receives the blessing of God contrasted with, but the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Because the signs uh, of a Christian are fruitfulness and not falling ways, looking at these guys and say they've fallen away, they are in danger. Be warned, they are in danger of being cursed. The fruit from their lives is gone if it was ever there in the first place. In fact, it doesn't say it used to produce fruit, it just says it's just producing thorns and thistles thorns and thistles, then danger of being cursed and in the end it will be burned. Be warned, don't fall away, don't go down that line, come back. Using the strongest possible language 
I would say, to win as many as he can to truly follow Jesus. This was a church that had been enormously persecuted. Uh, people had been put in prison, had had their property been taken. Uh, and maybe you'd think, oh, well, no wonder they're thinking, oh, is this worth it? Should I keep following Jesus? This is really hard. And he steps in, this author in the book, with some of the strongest language you can find in the Bible, and it's that way, and say, it is worth it. Do you not know? If you fall away, were you really with Jesus in the first place? Are you going to put yourself in a position where you are in danger of being cursed and in the end being burned? Figurative language, uh, but about your eternal destiny. Yes, the persecution is worth it, because you've got to stand with Jesus. That's what... Um, that's what they're saying. So fruitfulness, sign of a true Christian. Now, there's big stuff. I'm going to go over some other verses now to essentially look at that again and hopefully keep stirring our hearts that we are not going to be those that fall away. Because he's writing this to the church so that they will not fall away like maybe some in the congregation have done. And the very next verse after these ones, which Julian's going to pick up next week, and says, but we are confident of better things. Which is why we've called this sermon series, we're confident of better things, question mark. The whole reason this is written is because it's not automatic. It's challenging to us. It's supposed to make us think about our lives and how we live for God. But it says we're confident of better things, things pertaining to salvation, which, by the way, backs up my early statement because the other guys who've been enlightened, they hadn't actually got the things pertaining to salvation. They'd missed it. They were enlightened but weren't <coughs> saved. So, sorry, uh, a, a recap. It can be difficult to tell who's truly a Christian. Falling away can be a sign of not being a true Christian. Hearts can be hardened to even repent. And faithfulness, fruitfulness sorry, is a sign of a true Christian, or maybe should have can be. Biblical examples, other things. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Judas is maybe, uh, in terms of a personal uh, account, rather than just letters and uh, statements of doctrine and theology, is maybe the strongest example of something like that. He's hanging around with Jesus for three and a half years, the rest of the disciples. Nobody knew, except for Jesus. Nobody knew. He looked just the same as everyone else. He couldn't tell. He's one of the twelve. But it was never real. It was never in his heart. And he's held up, obviously, as just the epitome of just that the, the evil person gets Jesus in, in some ways. Dante has him in the inner circle of hell being chomped in the devil's mouth. But he was never real. And yet he's right there. He's seeing all the stuff. He's seen the provision. He's seen the miracles. He's hearing the teaching of Jesus. He's seen the love. He's seen the compassion. It never penetrated his heart. He realises that he's done wrong, but it wasn't true repentance or remorseful statement. He takes it to himself. He doesn't see it through to the end. There was no fruit in his life. Jesus always knew. He knows what's really going on in your heart. But ultimately, for all of us, we can't ever really know about someone else, can we? This, the, the writer to the Hebrews doesn't know exactly, definitely, about each individual person he's writing to. Neither like, do I necessarily know about the state of each of your own hearts, really and truly, about where you're at with Jesus. Nobody could tell about Judas, but Jesus knew, and he got shown up at the end. Like, so we're going to be looking at various passages in the Bible to sort of just keep looking at this subject. So 1 John, chapter 2, verse 19. He's been speaking about 
uh, antichrists, more provocative language, and he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Um, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. They didn't endure to the end. There's a group of people in the church, they looked like they were Christians, but they went out for us. Okay, so it showed they were not of us, the true church. Um, if they had been with us, they would have continued. They would have endured. Christians endure to the end. True Christians endure to the end. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not enduring, they were not truly saved, true Christians in the first place. So we had this verse right at the start to say, actually, if you're a true Christian, you don't lose your salvation. But if you think some of the things Jesus Im implied in this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. It's fruitful. That's his sheep, they follow him. They don't not follow him. They don't just live whichever way they want, indifferently to Jesus. They follow him. It's a sign of being a Christian. We follow him. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In other words, they're there at the end. They're not snatched out. If people seem to fall away, it can be an indication that we're never really there with Jesus in the first place. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Take care. It's the same book, earlier on in the uh, book. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Have a heart that's open to repentance and soft towards Jesus, not unbelieving. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. Again, seeming to say that's one of the signs, one of the indications, true Christians remain firm to the end. Got two longer passages, both from Jesus now. So, parable of the sower. Hear the end, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Uh, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is one who hears the word and understands it. He, indeeds, he indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Very well-known parable of Jesus, who says you will get different responses to the word of God. As people hear the gospel message about Jesus, there's, and he has this, if you like, these four categories, we can all respond in different ways. But in three of the ways, something grows up. There's something appears, initially. And there's, if you like, there's some plant, there's growth, there's response. It's like, it's good, isn't it? It looks like it's happening. But in the first two of them, okay, and we didn't hear the actual parable itself, this is his explanation, okay, they immediately receive joy and there's growth, yet it's no root, and it endures for a while, just a while, not to the end. And when difficulties come, they fall away. There was no root. It wasn't real. 
It's obviously hard to use this pictorial uh, parable language to pick on any individual's salvation or true Christian or not. I don't think that's the point. But it's a stern warning to us. It didn't continue to the end. There was no root. Some troubles come, they fell away. That wasn't obviously what Jesus wanted. And the other ones, some sown among thorns. And again, it had grown up in the parable. There's something there, but then get choked down. It becomes unfruitful. Now, whether Jesus intended one category to show they were never truly Christians and one to say they were truly Christians or not, again, it's not exactly the point. The point is, you're looking for it to be on good soil, to endure to the end, uh, to not to be, to be producing fruit in your life as a Christian. That's what Jesus is after. And the Hebrews write and say, make no mistake, you've got to be careful because maybe it wasn't true for you in the first place. In danger of being cursed, in the end it will be burnt. Call to yield fruit, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. And then finally, maybe even more explicitly, the final passage that we're looking at in terms of covering the subject, again from Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look the same, they're not the same. It's hard to tell all the time who is truly a Christian. Outward appearance, doing the stuff. You will recognise them by their fruits. Our grapes gather from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, pictorial language, but it always indicates sort of eternal judgement. And hell. Thus you will recognise them by their fruits. And he keeps going, not everyone who says to me, this is maybe the most explicit thing of everything looked at, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, meaning the, uh, when he's judging us all, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? They didn't just look the same, they looked amazing. They looked amazing. And then I would declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It can be really hard to tell, but true Christians are called to endure to the end. That's what Jesus wants for us. None can snatch out of his hand. We are kept by his power. It's not our own efforts, but true Christians endure to the end. And we are called to be fruitful because Jesus has called to be fruitful. Speaking of the passage in Hebrews, the reason why he wrote such strong language uh, to people, says the purpose is always to warn those who are thinking of falling away or have fallen away that if they do this, it's a strong indication they were never saved in the first place. Obviously, the first if you like, application to us this morning is really obvious and apparent, I would say. You need to consider your own heart. Are you truly a Christian? Are you truly believing on Jesus for your salvation? Are you just hanging around the good stuff? Do you like some of the things? You like the church, the community. You like some of the truths. You like that good Samaritan stuff. You like the kind of all of that. But you have never recognised what Jesus has done on the cross. You might not be feeling as you look, as that Hebrew passage says, that you're crucifying the Son of God all over again, that you're mocking him and, uh, you know, and cursing him in your heart. That was kind of an extreme example. But you're looking at Jesus on the cross, 
and you are not in amazement, adoring him, uh, wonder to him that that's what needed to happen for you because of your sin. That centre bit of the passage we looked at is about the crucified God, crucified Jesus and how you respond to him. Where you look at him and go, that's who I needed, a saviour. I'm dead and buried on my own. I need him to rescue me from my sins and I see him, see him doing it right there. I doubt there are many in this room that are cursing him and cussing him and you're like, because you probably wouldn't be here if that was the case. By now you probably would have fallen away. Like there's, I was in book. But what is your heart saying? Are you in danger of falling away because you haven't really truly given your life to Jesus? and said, yes, I want to follow you, and accepted what he's done for you? Are you even thinking you have done, but you're starting to get fed up with following him, finding Christian life too difficult, maybe bored of the church or whatever? Are you in danger of falling away? Are you in danger of backing off? Of what you've started, not finishing, yet if you're a Christian, you're called to endure to the end. Is the fruit in your life, is it all moving forward? That's why early on he's been saying to them, you by now you should be eat, you know, on meat and not milk, you should be growing, you should be maturing. It's a sign of moving on with Jesus. Paul says this, this is honestly our final Bible verse, I know there's been a lot. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Paul writing to a different church says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This is, oh, we don't you talk about this much, do we? We're all Christians, aren't we? He's writing to a church full of Christians, he said, by the way, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Eternal salvation is at stake. Well, do you not realise this about yourselves, that Christ, Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you should fail to meet the test? It's challenging, it's mind-boggling in some ways. But let's be now, even now, we reflecting on. Test yourselves. Do you meet the test? Is Jesus Christ in you? Have you accepted what he's done for you? In a second, I'd like to give you opportunity to respond. And uh, if you feel, actually, I'm not sure that is me. And you want to respond and you want to put that right. The guys in the Hebrews uh, passage, they'd really gone, they'd gone way off and got to a point where they'd hardened themselves. Uh, so that it was almost impossible for them to repent, the author said. Presumably, actually, to really provoke them to think about that. Uh, and uh, hopefully it's not your case now. You're willing to say, no, I really need Jesus. I'm going to say, if you're thinking, you're testing yourself, think, no, I know what Jesus has done in my life. Then let's be stirred to be fruitful and trust him to endure to the end. Let's also know that, again, just remind ourselves, this gospel message about Jesus, this response to the crucified saviour, the Bible is clear, even if the people around you don't believe it, this is what uh, affects people's eternal salvation or not. This is the life and death situation. This is why the Hebrews guy writes such strong, provoking language to provoke people to repent, to come back to God, to not fall away. And there are people all around us, aren't there, who don't know this. And we probably don't wade in with that type of language, obviously. That probably doesn't help people. But on our hearts, we must be carrying this. this is, we want people to see Jesus crucified for them and to bow the knee and say, you are my Lord and Saviour. Don't we? Yeah. And let's be stirred again. If you meet the test in your heart, then be asking God to help you tell others how important this is for people to be making decisions for Christ.
if you know that you need to respond again now, you want to come and you think, I want to, um, uh, you know, I need to respond, and you want to come and stand uh, with people now, then I'd love you to, uh, to do that. We'd love to pray with you, stand with you, and encourage you. Uh, that's what the whole point of that passage is, and hopefully the whole point of this talk here is to exhort you to come to Jesus who loves you and has died for you. Because you the brave thing to do, if that's you, you think, yeah, I want to take steps towards Jesus properly, firmly, truly in my heart, then we'd like to wave your hand. I'd love to invite you down and pray for you. If there's anyone here that wants to do that and thinks, I'm in danger of falling away. Okay, thank you. There's a couple of hands there. It's a brave thing, isn't it? But can I hope you catch it? It's so serious, actually, as well. We want to know that we're walking with him. Uh, and finally, just before I pray, in no way do I want to sort of demean the talk by saying this is all about doing church stuff at all. I'm going to say, in terms of enduring to the end and being fruitful Christians, everything about New Testament Christianity is about being in the New Testament community. And if you're just kind of on the fringes of the life of the church, then you're in the danger of being picked out. Maybe now you're thinking, I'm not in danger of falling away. But listen, the only defence sheep have, because we're God's sheep against the wolf, is to be near the shepherds, Jesus. And the shepherd's looking after the flock. Now his heart is to always go to the one Jesus said and rescue him. What's he doing with them? He's bringing them back to the flock. You must make sure you are connected in well to the flock. And we, we, the, we obviously have that, City Hope, if you think it's for another church, praise God, do that. But you must be connected into the flock or you are in danger of being taken out falling away. Don't kid yourself and think, no, I'm all right, and sort of go it alone. You're not, because that's not New Testament Christianity. So please, without trying to cheapen the gospel, please get involved in the church, uh, join connect groups and all the rest of it and become very much part of the community. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you sent Jesus, that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, Lord God, but we can have eternal life. Lord, it's your heart that you're offering us eternal life, Lord Jesus, and you rescue us and you save us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, and we pray for all of us here, Lord, we want to be those that truly follow you, Lord God. Lord, thank you there's security in you, there's trust in you, but we do pray, stir our hearts, Lord, to walk well with you, to trust you to the end, Lord God. Lord, we're not even facing the persecutions this church was, Lord God, and yet our hearts can drift, and we want to stay strong following you, walking with you to the end, Lord God, and we pray, come on us by your spirit. We don't stand on our own cleverness or our own enduring power. We trust in your grace in our lives. We trust in being in your hands that none can snatch out of. Lord, I pray for any here that are wondering about that for themselves. Lord, will you help them come to you truly in repentance to be secure in you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, guys, I believe Paul has got something he'd just like to share that God's put in his heart for us. If we've got a microphone, would be help, helpful.